Chapter Twenty One of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Millefleur. The complications which had surrounded Leighton Gillespie were, through his own imprudence, in the way of being cleared up, though hardly to his advantage. This was not all. Either from indifference or ignorance, I hardly thought it was indifference, he had not only called attention to his own secret passion, but laid such a trap for the object of it that she could hardly fail to fall ultimately into the hands of the police. Under these circumstances, was it my duty to proceed with the task I had imposed upon myself? Was my help needed when Mr. Grice's right-hand man was at work? It would not seem so. But, as I was happy enough to remember, before my hesitation resolved itself into action, the one clue connecting him to this murder was to be found in my hands, not theirs. I alone knew where to look for the woman who had procured him the phial of poison. This in itself created an obligation I dared not slight. I must continue my quest, if I desire to fulfill the promise to Hope Meredith. The day was Friday, and the fish-stalls were doing a lively business. By the time I had threaded my way through innumerable sheds, I had got enough of this commodity in my nostrils to satisfy my appetite for a week. I was glad when I stepped out upon the wharf. "'Is it along there you want to go?' asked the officer under whose protection I moved. I looked and saw fluttering before me the calico curtain which had blown in and out of Yox's story. "'Yes, if it's where an old woman named Mary is to be found. "'I'll ask.' "'He approached a brother officer whose presence I had not noticed, "'spoke to him, and came back. "'That's the place,' said he. "'Do you want me to go in with you?' "'Not if it's safe.' "'Oh, it's safe enough at this hour. "'You haven't any too much cash on you, I judge. "'Besides, I'll hang about the door, "'and if you don't come out in ten minutes, "'I'll just inquire the reason why.' You see, the place is on our books, and we don't want to keep too open an eye on it. I was glad to be allowed to go in alone. I had not dared to hope for this, and felt correspondingly relieved. An unexpectedly quiet interior met my eye. The bare walls, the busy stove, the woman whose gaunt frame and lowering eye I had heard described by Yox were before me, but nothing of a sinister or even suspicious appearance. I had surprised Mother Mary's quarters at a happy hour. That is, happy for her, and possibly so for me. But perhaps I convey a wrong impression in speaking of the walls as bare. They were not so, for stretched from side to side of the steam-reeking, stifling room were lines on which coarse garments were hanging up to dry, and on the wall directly before me I saw a pair of rough seaman's breeches, pinned up in a ghostly and grotesque fashion over the little stove which even on this mild afternoon was doing its best to keep out undesirable visitors. The old woman, who was bending over a table on which a few broken victuals lay, was without a doubt Mother Mary herself, and recognizing her as such, I assumed the half-audacious, half-deprecatory manner I thought best calculated to impress her. With a broad smile, I thrust my hand into my pocket. Then, as I perceived her hard eye melt and coarse lines about her mouth twist into something which was as near encouragement as one could expect from a being always on her guard against strangers, I whispered with a careful look about me, "'Anyone here? My errand won't stand peering eyes or listening ears.' She gave me a penetrating glance. 
"'What do you want?' she grumbled. I took out a dollar and laid it on the table. Her hand was over it in an instant. "'A morsel of drug,' I whispered. Three drops of something that'll do up a man in five minutes. The man is myself,' I added as her eyes darkened. She continued to regard me intently for a minute, then cast a quick glance down at the hand which covered the coin. "'Sorry,' she muttered, "'but I'm not in the way of getting any such stuff. Who sent you to me?' I hesitated, then made my great venture. "'The man you helped out of here the night the police came down on you. He had better luck than I. You didn't refuse it to him.' "'You lie!' she cried. Startled by these uncompromising words, I fell back. Had I made a great mistake? He never got any such stuff from me, she went on shrilly. That wasn't what he came for, or else he made more a fool of me than I knew. What did he come for? Her look of inquiry turned into one of suspicion. Did you come here to ask that? If so, you'd better go. I'm not one of the blabbing sort. I drew out another dollar. Perhaps he got it upstairs, I insinuated. Oh, she cried, spreading out her long fingers so as to cover both pieces. That may be. Those girls have strange ways with them. May I peep at them? May I have a peep at her? The emphasis I placed on the last word called out for Mother Mary a long stare, which I bore as best I could. She hasn't a drop left of what you were talking about, said Mother Mary at last. If she gave it to him, it's all gone. Perhaps she can get more where she got that, I made bold to suggest. The old hag gave a grunt and looked gloatingly at the coin sparkling between her bony fingers. How many of these have you saved up? she asked. Ten. And with ten dollars in your pocket you came here for poison? Her amazement was quite real. Ten dollars in my pocket and wanting poison. It took her some minutes to grasp the fact. Then she said, And how many of these are for me? Five. She pawed at the coins till they were well under her palm. I'll call her down. Will that do? Yes. She may not be just right. No matter. She may be all right herself and not think you so. I'll risk that, too. Then stand near the stove so she won't see you when she first comes down. She wouldn't stay a minute if she did. Obeying the old hag, I watched her sidle to the door already familiar to me in Yox's narrative. The door's upstairs, I mean. As she disappeared behind it, I glanced at the table near which she had been standing. The two silver dollars were gone. I'll never see them again, was my inward decision and I never did. The presence of the wet clothing hanging so near me was anything but agreeable. Moving around to the other side of the stove, I at least avoided some of the fumes which in that stifling atmosphere were almost insufferable. But I was more exposed to view, something which the old woman noticed when she re-entered. You have moved, she suspiciously snarled. Come back and let the clothes hide you. Perhaps I can make the girl sing if she don't see you. She seems to be in one of her queer moods. Would you like to hear her sing? As the old woman evidently expected an enthusiastic assent, I gave it with as much force as I could muster up on such short notice. Hush, she is coming. You mustn't mind her laugh. It was well she gave me this warning, for
for the sudden, wild shout of hilarious mirth which I now heard from the region of the staircase was so startling that without these words of caution I might have betrayed myself. As it was, I kept my post in silence, watching for the girl who I had every reason to believe had given the bottle of prussic acid to Leighton Gillespie. Would she prove to be the wild, unkempt woman whose beautiful look he had endeavored to describe to the Salvation Army captain? I hoped not. Why, I hardly knew. Suddenly there broke upon my eyes a sight I have never forgotten. A woman came in. A woman, not a girl. And while her look was not beautiful, far from it, she had that about her which no man could see for the first time without emotion. Her features were ordinary when taken by themselves, but seen together possessed an individuality whose subtle attraction had been marred, but not entirely destroyed, by the countless privations she had evidently undergone. And her hair, wild and uncared for though it was, was wonderful. So was the air of vivacity and rich, exuberant life which characterized her. Though her cheek was pale and her arms thin, she fairly beamed with that indefinable but spontaneous gladness which springs from the mere fact of being alive, a gladness which at that moment did not suggest drugs or any unwholesome source. I was astounded at the effect she produced upon me, and watched her eagerly. No common unfortunate this— Yet it would have been hard to find among the city's worst a woman more bedraggled or more poorly nourished. Sing, cried old Mother Mary, with an authority against which I instinctively rebelled, though I had seen the object of it for only a couple of minutes. You feel like it, and I feel like hearing you. Sing. The woman's throat throbbed. She stopped just where she was and threw out her arms. Then she smiled, and then she sang. I have heard Gilbert, and I have heard Loftus, but neither of them ever made my temples throb, my heart swell, or my breath falter as this woman did. That she chose the saddest of all sad songs, she who a moment before seemed hardly able to contain her laughter, could not quite account for this effect, nor the fact that these flights of tragic melody rose from out a misery which no laughter could cover up. It was genius, great and wonderful genius misdirected and lost, but still heaven-given and worthy of an artist's recognition. As she sang on, I yielded her mine, for my heart swelled almost to bursting, and when she had finished and stood poised, rapt, ecstatic, enthralled with her own melody and beautiful with her own feeling, I found my cheeks wet with tears. I had never wept at anyone singing before. Dance! came in fresh command from the miserable hag behind me. I had forgotten Mother Mary, but the raised face I was contemplating drooped forward at these words, and the arms, which had moved all through the singing, fell inert. I have no strength, she wailed. Yet in another instant she was swaying, turning, rising and falling in mazes of movement, so full of grace and charm that I scarcely missed the music which should have accompanied them. It was more than a dance, it was a drama. Instinctively I followed her feelings, and knew as by a species of revelation what each motion was meant to convey. I watched her as I would some charmed being, for the marks of care had vanished from her features, and the lips which had been drawn and white burned redly, and the hair which had hung in disheveled locks 
now blew out in live curls, a thrill with passion, and breathing forth rapture and love. Suddenly she paused. Mother Mary had pointed me out with the words, The gentleman is looking at you. Instantly her beauty shriveled and vanished. Her hands went up to her face, and she crouched like a lost thing against the floor. No, no, she wailed, and would have fled, but Mother Mary forced her back. The gentleman wants something. He wants a drop of what you gave the other one that night. You remember, the night the boy slid away and left us to the police? Instinctively her right hand went to her bosom, and her eyes looked wildly into mine. Suddenly she saw the moisture on my cheek. Oh, he's been crying, Mother Mary, been crying. Perhaps now I can cry, too. I should like to. It's better than singing. And she broke into sobs so violent that I stood aghast in mingled pity and amazement. Just then the policeman looked in. How now, he cried, what's up? My impulse was to shield her from this fellow's curiosity. Motioning him away, I whispered in her ear, You haven't said whether you would give me what I have come for. What is it? A drop of what kills trouble, kills it at once, instantly and forever. I am wretched, heartbroken. God knows I spoke the truth. She stared, and what remained of light in her face went out. I have none now she hoarsely assured me. Then get it where you got that. I cannot. I got that when it was easier to smile, and dancing was not followed by dreadful pain. Now— She tried to laugh as she had a few moments before, but her jocund mood had passed. One would never imagine from her present aspect that she had just floated through the room, an embodiment of joyousness and grace. You gave it all to him? All? I questioned. The emphasis did not strike her, or rather it assumed a different place in her mind than on my lips. To him? She repeated, shrinking back with evident distrust. Yes, I pursued, following her and speaking in her ear. The sailor lad who took it away from here that night. Poison, prussic acid, a file you could hide in your hand. She broke into laughter not the expression of joy, but that of defiance, if not derision. She was but a common woman now. Sailor lad, she repeated, and laughed again. I felt that the moment had come for speaking the significant word. Looking around and seeing that Mother Mary was not too near, I whispered, A sailor lad with a gentleman's name. You know the name. So do I. Leighton Gillespie. She had not expected me to go so far. Smothering a frightened cry, she struck her hands together over her head and dashed towards the door by which she had come in. Mother Mary stood before it laughing. Then she turned to escape by the street, but there she was confronted by the heavy form of the policeman, who had thrust himself across the threshold. Crouching, she folded her arms over her breast and made a plunge for the door, communicating with the den beyond. It opened under her pressure, and she fell gasping and bruised upon the threshold. I hastened to her aid, but she was up before I could reach her. I don't know the man you talk of. I don't know you. I am a free woman, a free woman, she shrieked, bounding to the trap and opening it. As she uttered the last word, she swung herself down. 
I tried to stop her, but she was as agile as a cat. As I leaned over the hole, I saw her disappearing among a confusion of oozy piles, and shuddering with the chill of the mephitic air that came pouring up, I drew back. "'That's the end of her for today,' muttered the harsh voice of Mother Mary behind me. "'When she's like that, you might as well make for other quarters. But you've had your money's worth. You've heard her sing. You've seen her dance. It's not every man can boast of that. She's shy of men.' At least, she'll never sing for them. Perhaps I looked surprised. Perhaps I only looked dejected. Misinterpreting the expression, whichever it was, old Mother Mary sidled up closer, and as I made for the door, whispered with a leer, If you really want what you say, come back in a week, and if I can get it, you shall have it. I gave her another coin. What do you call that girl? I asked with my hand on the latch. The money made her loquacious. Millie, she answered. That is not how she speaks it, but it's how we all call her. It was then, as I had thought, I had seen and listened to Mill Fleur, the woman to whom Leighton Gillespie had addressed those appealing lines. End of chapter 21